At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have Shulamit Berlevtov on the show. Based in Smith's Falls, Ontario, Shula is the entrepreneur's therapist. She works with women business owners to care for their mental and emotional well-being in an era of relentless stressors that can make anyone lose their mind any day. Shula has been an entrepreneur for over 27 years, and she has more than 22 years of professional experience applying therapeutic coaching and somatic tools to support women's mental health and personal growth. In addition to working with clients one-on-one, Shula teaches in private and university business programs, and she speaks nationally and internationally about the intersection of mental health, trauma, entrepreneurship, and financial psychology. As an award-winning entrepreneur, master's level, licensed trauma therapist, and trauma survivor with certifications in Brené Brown's Dare to Lead methodology, trauma of money, nonviolent communication, and yoga, Shula brings a unique perspective and approach to supporting women in business. Shula, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. We're delighted to have you here. Want to talk about all this stuff? This month, we are talking all month with entrepreneurs about mental health and acknowledgement of Mental Health Awareness Month. As you work with entrepreneurs day in and day out, how are they doing today? What are some of the most common challenges and emotions that they're feeling as business owners and CEOs? Well, you know, uh, we're first and foremost people. And so what I've observed amongst my clients is the same as I've observed amongst colleagues and friends and in the uh, online business arena, people are having a really tough time. And so for entrepreneurs, business owners, people who are self-employed, there's an added layer because of the unpredictability uh, that they're experiencing as a result of the economic circumstances and consumer behavior. So we're on a personal level done. We are like toast in many folks. And then we still have to, as business owners, 
deal with, um, if you're familiar with the term VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity on the daily pretty much. And so it's hard. We're all struggling and entrepreneurs in particular, I think, are struggling uh, more Okay. on, now, the, on an emotional level. Yeah. Um, and you used a highly technical term a minute ago. I'm wondering if you can help me understand what it means. You said we are toast. <laughs> like done, done like dinner, you know, worn out, exhausted. We have, we have no more reserves. We are running on empty. And that means, you know, when we're feeling this way and then some crap hits the fan, we just don't have our best self to bring to the situation. Uh, and so we are not the friends, spouses, parents, or employers, business owners, the creative people that we want to be. And, and, and that's talking about the general population as well as entrepreneurs, I think. Yes. And, yes. and so what has toasted us? What has roasted us? What, what, what has left us so frazzled? Oh, I don't know. Economic volatility in a global pandemic, maybe? <laughs> uh, because, you know, like, we're now three years-ish into the COVID era, and there's we have the impression... Uh, which we, you know, we may not be thinking about this uh, in the front of our minds, but generally there's the impression that the pandemic is over, but you don't live through two years of trauma. And I will say parenthetically that it was as traumatic for those who believed it was happening as it was for those who didn't believe it was happening because your world was shaken either way. You don't recover from two years of that uh, overnight. And so we were in like a very activated kind of um, rise to the crisis mode over an extended period of time. And then we kind of thought, you know, the gates would open and we would spring forward with joy, feeling great because it's over and that's not the experience we got. So we're disappointed and there's no room for recovery because the hits just keep on coming. And th this is, these are some of the things that have, that have done us in. How, does, how do these stressors, how do they manifest themselves in the lives of the entrepreneurs that you're talking to? Well, let me turn this back and ask you, what, what kind of things happen when you're super stressed out or feeling depleted or exhausted? I don't think I have quite the same pressures on me as a podcast host that entrepreneurs have. Um, so so I, I don't think I've felt but, but stress is stress is stress. So what happens when you're super stressed? When I stressed? am super stressed, uh, let's see, I uh -huh. watch Netflix and eat ice cream. Yeah. And how do you know that you're stressed? What are the kinds of things that happen in your life, in your body, in your mind, or that people say to you, you know, as signals that you are very stressed out? Usually there's more than one kind of ice cream in the freezer. That's what tells me. <laughs> <laughs> right? I feel that. So what happens is why we do these things uh, is that our nervous systems are overwhelmed and cannot cope and are looking for some way to soothe themselves. And so uh, entrepreneurs particularly are vulnerable to e eating drugs and alcohol because they are very effective in the moment at soothing distress. The problem is, as we all know, if, they're, if that's our only tool to cope, and it, th there's nothing wrong with those tools, but they need to take their place in relationship to um, 
to a range of tools so that it's, let's say, if all you have is ice cream, compared to if you have other tools, let's say 10 other tools, if all you have is ice cream, you pick ice cream 10 out of 10 times. If you have other tools, you might put, you have 10 other tools of which ice cream is one, you'll pick ice cream theoretically one out of 10 times. So it's, it's kind of like putting these um, coping me mechanisms in right relationship. Uh, so that's some of the things that entrepreneurs will do. They'll, they'll attempt to soothe themselves and calm the distress. Um, they may find, this is like heading into the TMI department, uh, digestive troubles. They might find that they have trouble sleeping. They might find uh, muscle tension, headaches, uh, snapping at people, inability to focus, biting people's heads off. Uh, all these kind of, because when we are depleted, all we have left, we don't have our creative capacity left. We only have our basic survival instincts and that's either uh, run away or fight, not literally, but metaphorically. Right. And so again, they're not, they're just not creative connected responses. We're not connected to ourselves. We're not connected to others. We're not connected to our business. And so it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve our businesses when these kinds of things come up. Is that, is that kind of describing what you're looking for? Um, yeah, no, I think very, very much so. I'm wondering if there's mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't have time to hear more than 10 minutes of this podcast, um, what, and we want everyone to, <laughs> listen, we want everyone to, to listen to the whole thing, but <clears throat> just help us out. How are you able to help? What are you able to do? How are you able to refocus the, the, the entrepreneurs that you're talking to? Well, the basic concept is that, you know, mental health challenges are an inherent risk in business. This is true, COVID or no COVID. Uh, and there's plenty of research to demonstrate that. Michael Freeman is a psychiatrist and a psychologist in the United States. And he's, uh, he did, he's like the grandfather of research into entrepreneurship and mental health. Uh, and he has identified this and also has the Canadian, uh, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association. It's clear that uh, entrepreneurship and mental health are intimately linked. And it's an inherent risk, challenges to your mental and emotional well-being as part of entrepreneurship. And so if that's the case and how we manage risk in our businesses is by having business plans that include financial plans and marketing plans, for example, should there not then also be a mental health plan for the founder as an integral part of their business plan? My, I would assert that the answer is yes. And so uh, one of the ways that I work with business owners is to help them create a mental health plan that they that is an integral part of their business planning so that it's not something they have to do separately, make time for, put more things on their desk, uh, but rather it's integrated into the regular activities of their business. Um, and often there are things that come up in business, emotional stuff. Uh, and you may, folks listening may have experienced trying to tell somebody who doesn't understand business about the stresses of business and the impact that it's having on them. Uh, and so the other half of the work that I do is really providing a space where folks can express the impact of what they're going through and be seen and heard and validated because that then clears the way for the creative thinking and the kind of you know focus and decision making and strategy 
you know, these are your rational capacities that become more available to you once the emotional side of things have been taken care of. So it's, it's two sides of the coin, right? The emotional care and which then, um, I'm a, I function as a thought partner for folks so that they can talk through what they're thinking about and what they might like to do about these situations that brought up these emotions. Interesting. Thought partner is actually a new term to me, but it sounds like it's something that counselors might use regularly. No, it's, um, it's actually from the business environment. Um, and it, it means, well, the way that it works out when, when I, uh, function as a thought partner for someone is as a third party listener, I listen to what they're saying. And folks, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you can just, we can talk and talk and talk without hearing ourselves. Right. But I, as a trained listener, I'm attuned to somatic cues, like, uh, people's body language and their facial expression, uh, tone of voice, those kinds of things. And I'm also listening for patterns. And so when somebody says something that's meaningful, I will uh, interrupt them and say, I'll say, I'm just going to gently interrupt you here because you said something that I think is really important and that it would be worth hearing again. And then I'll feed their words back to them so that they can kind of pause and take in their own wisdom and then allow that to inform their thought process as they continue to kick around whatever the topic is that they're thinking about. That, that is what thought partnership looks like when, uh, when you're yeah, sitting with cool. me. Very cool. Now I want a thought partner too. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so, it's so helpful. I mean, I say this because I have these for myself. Um, and it's just so helpful to be able to have that kind of listening to your creative and strategic process. Right. Um, one of my off the cuff thoughts and preparing for this is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of self-confidence and sometimes it's, it, it, it's more justified than others. Um, but I think a mm-hmm. lot of them have, have an ego that makes it difficult for them to talk about problems, to talk about uh, issues with mm-hmm. other people. Uh, your clients are people who, who've gotten over that if it was something for them to get over with in the first place. But I'm wondering uh, based on entrepreneurs you've met throughout your life, whether you think that's a problem and how you think one might get over that if they were reluctant to seek out this kind of help. Mm. Well, I would, I would actually dispute your evaluation of the situation. Um, I think there are a number of factors at play that prevent people from talking and especially entrepreneurs from talking about their uh, mental health. First and foremost, stigma. For all that we have the Bell Let's Talk Day, um, when it comes down to brass tacks, people do not in general want to be um, made uncomfortable by somebody else's uh, mental health stuff. And so when somebody is experiencing uh, challenges to their mental and emotional well-being, they are quite reasonably reluctant to disclose it. And that applies as much to entrepreneurs as anyone else. But then in entrepreneurship, we have hustle culture, which is um, a very, it, it was, it originated apparently with uh, Gary V. Uh, he had a book, I think it's called Crushing It, you know, and that, that you've, I'm sure, heard the term rise and grind. And this just comes from this whole extractive 
capitalism. And as a therapist who works with entrepreneurs who has my own business, uh, I'm not against money or making money or commerce, but um, the extractive nature of some businesses uh, and of the world in which we live leads us to believe that we have no value other than what we can produce as humans, right? And so that, that also, there's a whole, like there are many corollaries to that belief that we have no value if we have, if we cannot be, if wealth cannot be extracted from us or we cannot extract wealth from ourselves, that then makes no room for any kind of vulnerability or any kind of issue. Like, you know, you've heard people say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, it's just, it's literally um, put up, shut up and produce at all costs. So that's a factor. But then we also have, um, as entrepreneurs in particular, uh, what's called impression management which is a concern that if we are seen to be vulnerable or uh, express any kind of less than perfect image, that that will undermine people's confidence in us and thus in our businesses. And that will have that, then that will have a harmful effect on the business. People will, it will, you know, um, the revenue, revenue will drop, business will drop. And so when you put those three things together, like it's no wonder in my mind that people don't want to talk about uh, their mental and emotional challenges, uh, particularly as entrepreneurs. And I think it can come across in a number of different ways and it may be perceived as ego. Uh, but I would say that these other factors are what are more at the heart of people's unwillingness to... Um, let the walls right. down, you know. Have you found is is there a a, a, a way a, a mantra? How can we help entrepreneurs who suffer from that problem? Um, you know, just the 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 the, the unwillingness to, as, as you shared, say to, you know to share their mental health struggles. How do we help them overcome that? Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, these are legitimate fears. So first and foremost, I would just say, like, no wonder, no wonder you're afraid. Uh, to disclose what's happening for you. Like, of course, if those are the circumstances, who would want to? Like, absolutely. So, and you know, I'm going to pause actually and give space for folks to take that in. Like, no wonder. There's really nothing wrong with you for not wanting to or being afraid of the consequences. And so uh, I invite you to consider the idea that we are stronger with support. And if you think about a dam, for example, a big, this is a, an image that I often use in my talks, a great big hydro dam. I'm thinking one of the ones in the United States, I wish I could remember. I think it's mm -hmm. called the Hoover Dam. Yeah, the one Huge, in Las, right? In and Las it's Vegas, like towers. Yeah. 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 And if there was a little bitty hole in that dam and it was not addressed, over time, water, as we know, erodes and ultimately that dam crumbles. But if we address that little bitty hole by reinforcing the dam, is the dam not stronger? I hope that's a yes. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was rhetorical. Yes. It was rhetorical, and I'm happy to hear you say yes. Um, so we, like, although it's common to believe that asking for help makes us weak, the truth is we are stronger with support. 
And so my, my, what I would invite is that a person who's feeling reluctant could consider that metaphor and consider that idea that, hey, wait a minute, maybe I am stronger with support. Maybe support is what would hold me up, what would make me stronger, would give me more capacity and more resources to address the situation right. I'm facing. I mean, we don't mind admitting we need an no, no, accountant, no. we need a social media manager, we need someone to help us uh, assess new right? talent. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't mm -hmm. we need this help too? Yep. Yep, these are perfect. I really love that you brought those examples because those are perfect examples of how we are literally stronger and our businesses are stronger when they are well supported, right? And then the third thing I would say is when you work with a therapist is 100% confidential. And I, you could work with me or somebody else, it doesn't matter. But the difference between confiding in Joe, uh, you know, Joe, Joe, business owner who's sitting next to you at the chamber breakfast versus a therapist is that it goes nowhere. It has no impact in the world at all. And that can be a safer feeling place to start. Uh, and then you can begin um, as, as you evolve in your journey, you can begin to share perhaps a bit more with uh, carefully considered boundaries around what you share and with whom you share, because uh, assessing with whom you share information and choosing the people who are gonna respond in ways that are supportive to you and assessing how much you feel comfortable sharing. Those are two really important aspects uh, involved when you're seeking peer support, because otherwise it's not gonna be support that helps. It's gonna be support that just, you're like, oh, why did I even do that, you know? Right. It's my experience that often just talking with someone who listens. And I guess it's yep. a, a thought partner, as you said before, just talking about a problem with somebody gets you a long way towards uh, understanding the problem and possibly solving it. Yep, I agree. So let's do it, people. Tell us a little bit about your, your own journey and your experience as a mental health professional, Shula. Um, what led you to working with women entrepreneurs who need support? Well, I, um, this is my third career and, uh, I came to this career. My goal was to graduate from my master's program before I turned 50 and I did it. But as a woman starting a new career, starting at the bottom of the career ladder at 50, you know, employment prospects are not great. And, because I had come into the job market in the 80s, people think the gig economy only started like recently. Hello, it's been here for 30, 40 <laughs> years. I can't do the math. But anyways, since the 80s, which is when I entered the job market, there weren't jobs, there were only contracts. So I have no pension. So whatever, um, whatever I was going to do at that juncture had to be a business, a viable business that would support me uh, as long as I needed it to. So I jumped right out of uh, training as a therapist and into business training, business coaching, masterminds, working with a coach, all that kind of um, stuff. And through my journey of learning to operate a business, hanging out with other entrepreneurs and being the only therapist in entrepreneurial circles and hearing with my therapist mind what people were saying to me, at the same time as I was also growing my business and experiencing these same, uh, having these same experiences, 
it's kind of like um, if you remember the old Reese's peanut butter cup commercials where the chocolate and the peanut butter collide. And I went, hey, wait a minute. There needs to be a therapist who understands the mental and emotional toll that entrepreneurship takes on people and who is able to support them. And that's how the Entrepreneur's Therapist was born. Very cool. And you're uh, in Smith Falls, which is just outside of Ottawa. Actually, no. no? I live rurally outside a place that's so small, most people don't know where it is. So I'm I'm in the rural area outside of Smith Falls on 13 acres of land with a donkey and a horse, a couple of barn cats. It's uh, quite bucolic. And where do your clients come from? I mean, you're sort of in the greater Ottawa area, more or less. So... My clients come from all over the world. Ah. Uh, I have actually had a couple local folks, but the majority of clients I have are uh, not local. Canadian, yes, most of them are Canadian, but I have some from the U.S. and and elsewhere in the world. Cool. I have to get into marketing because every listener just said, wow, I'd really love to have clients be on my local area. How, How have you managed to acquire those clients and get your name out over the years? My, my, my marketing strategy is built around two things. The first is SEO and the second is relationships. Uh, and so I, as a person am just good at, I'm, I'm, uh, extroverted and enjoy connecting and talking to folks. So that's a, you know, that's, um, an asset. Um, and so podcasts, for example, but also, identifying folks on social media who um, are interesting to me and getting in the DMs and talking to them. Uh, Over the years, I've become friends with a number of folks as a result of that. And when you build networks, as I'm sure you know, that's how people talk about and have you in mind so that when they come across someone who might need your services, they're like, oh, my friend Shula, blah, 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 right? So between the relationship marketing, the network built networking aspect and, um, really hard work, long-term focused work on SEO. Those are the ways that clients come to me. The majority of clients find me through Google. They'll be like, it's a 3 a.m. Googling like, you know, uh, stress relief for business owners or how to cure business owner insomnia or, you know, that's, that's how most people find therapists in general actually is by the midnight Googling because they just can't sleep because of the stress they're experiencing. So well, most people find me that way. So have you bought some of those terms on the, you know, Google ads and things, some of those 3 a.m. search terms? Uh, well, my, my, so blogging is the biggest part of my SEO. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, I just was away at an Airbnb for a week to write my posts for the year. Um, I work with a consultant and she assigns me the work and then I write the posts and release them one by one over the course of the year. Uh, so that's the, like where I put the most time and energy is in that. Uh, but the, I do have a very small Google ad. Um, my Google ad spend is about 150 Canadian dollars um, per month. And the two of those together work very well. Blogging. It's been a long time since I heard anyone say that a blog made a difference to my business. Well, it's not just blogging. It's, it's blogging for SEO, which is, which is a different, it's a, it's a, um, a specific tactic all on its own. I don't write just anything. Uh, it's informed by a keyword strategy. Right. 
and it's a long, it's a long, slow, you know, SEO is not going to get you. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, traffic. Traffic marketing is not the way I market my business. I'm a relationship-based marketer with, with SEO. Uh, so, you know, it has taken, I'd say about mm, five years or so to grow the entrepreneurial part of my practice. I've been a therapist in private practice now for more than 10 years. Uh, so it's not like I had to get clients overnight. It was possible for me to choose this strategy, this long strategy, but SEO works, uh, but it's over time. And, and what effect has, has the, uh, the whole COVID situation had, I, I presume that's helped your business. I would say, well, because I have a very small practice, um, my practice is always usually full. And um, so the nature of my practice did not change much. Uh, but what people were experiencing, the intensity of support that people needed certainly went way up. And, and my clients, the distress that my clients were experiencing went way up. So the nature of the work shifted to a certain degree as well to more, more about um, addressing their distress so that they could cope with what, what they were facing. Right. I imagine also that the people who might not have wanted to talk to a therapist online before, um, we're talking with everybody on Zoom now. So, yes. so that presumably makes it easier for clients to say, yeah, I can work with this, this Canadian Yes, yes. I, I hadn't considered that aspect, but I do bet your accurate, your evaluation is accurate. And when you have a, a client, how long is, is, is there sort of an average length of, of time that, that they spend with you? Is, is there a, a pattern to the way people interact mm -hmm. with you? Well, my, the way that I work is in 30-day packages of support that um, involve uh, voice message or voice memo support between live sessions. Uh, and some folks like to do 30 days on, 30 days off, 30 days on, 30 days off, you know, to alternate because um, the intensity of the work sometimes is, is you know, they want to um, be in flow between that. And other folks will do ongoing 30-day blocks until they feel like they got what they wanted. The research shows around client reports of success, in quotation marks, in therapy, so that is not um, psychometric measures of support, but what clients report as success in their terms is between, in order to accomplish that, it's between eight and 12 sessions. So, you know, people, but some people, I've worked with some people for years. It just really depends, honestly, it depends on two things, um, their desire to do the work and their financial situation. Mm-hmm. Um you talk about the seven specific risks to an entrepreneur's mental health. Yeah. Can we talk about those? Sure. So I'll list them first. And we talked about actually a couple of them uh, just in the course of our conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, isolation is the first. And we can talk a bit about the nature of isolation for entrepreneurs later in the conversation if you want to get onto it, get, get into it. But it is unique the way entrepreneurs experience isolation. Uh, it's different, distinct from the general population. We talked about hustle, hustle culture, um, which is very harmful to mental health. Uh, we, I also mentioned VUCA, volatility, 
uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that's uh, a factor. So those are three. Then there are barriers to support. Entrepreneurs often um, experience barriers to accessing uh, mental health support because there aren't enough to go around just for the general population, let alone who understand entrepreneurship. But also cash flow can be an issue, well, is often an issue in businesses. And the kind of support in a business that's beneficial to your mental health isn't only a therapist. It could be your virtual assistant. It could be your OB, uh, your online business manager. It could be your copywriter, your social media person. And if you haven't got the cash for that, then you end up carrying the load and that's, that's very hard on you. Then there's the tendency to link self-worth to success in your business. That's a whole um, easier said than done kind of situation. We need to tease out uh, and, and um, find ways to distinguish our sense of worthiness as a human from our, the success in our business. And then the sixth factor is that many of us are predisposed to mental uh, and emotional health challenges. And I mentioned before the researcher Freeman, uh, he found that 49% um, of entrepreneurs have mental health challenges compared to 30% of the general population. Uh, and he found that people who are, you know, have the traits that characterize entrepreneurs, energetic, motivated, creative, entrepreneurial, also uh, strong emotional states accompany those other characteristics. And so there are a number of factors of predisposition uh, there. I could say more about it, but I won't for the time being that come into play. So those are six. And then there's what I call the secret seventh or the invisible seventh factor, which is that these six as entrepreneurs, we often experience them more than one at a time. In other words, they potentiate one another. They amplify the impact of one another. So we're like, you know, your everyday person could experience isolation. Your everyday person could relate self-worth with their success in their career or their success in their role as a parent, for example. But entrepreneurs, we experience these in different ways and often meant, uh, many at the same time. And so the seventh factor is how these weigh on us uh, and, and, and amplify one another. Wow. Yeah. So I bet, uh, you know, our listeners have probably heard a lot of things here that, that, that resonate with, with, with themselves, yeah. uh, with, yeah. with, with, with their own lives. It's a, yeah, it's a daunting risk. Why would anyone go into entrepreneurship knowing that they've just upped the mental stress level in their life by 25%? Well, the, the, I think the value of knowing about this, oh, and I should say, I have a blog post that details these factors and gives more information about them. So I'll send you the link and you can put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you. But the reason that I talk about this, I mean, it sounds like all bad news, but in fact, what happens is clients come to me blaming themselves and thinking there's something wrong with them. And when I lay out for them in one way or another, what they're actually facing, they go, oh, well, no wonder I feel like <laughs> no wonder I'm having a hard time. No wonder this or that is happening. Look what I'm dealing with. I'm not crazy. There's nothing the matter with me. And one of the phrases that comes from the trauma um, therapy is that it's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. In other words, in, for trauma survivors, we would say there, there's nothing the matter with you for, for experiencing harm and consequences, wounds as a result of what you've been through. 
Those things are harmful. Those things do hurt people. They do cause wounds. The issue is that those things shouldn't have happened. And what's wrong is with those things, not with you and how you are impacted by them. And can that be a breakthrough when you realize, hey, it, it's not me. It's this. It, it's all these things wrestling about in the in the world I've chosen. Well, it's yes, it, it's funny, not funny, but funny, kind of delightful, actually, that many times this people will leave the first session going, I don't think I need any more therapy <laughs> because of the relief they experience when they look at it this way. Like it's an, an enormous weight has been lifted because there's nothing wrong with them. And that's 50% of people's distress, in my opinion, is how we um, crap talk ourselves when we're legitimately distressed in the face of a situation that's legitimately distressing. That's, that's very hard. And entrepreneurs all the more so. Yeah. That, 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 that's really good news. Do you do you get your first thirty day payment in advance? And in, in... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a business podcast. <laughs> yes, um, I like to create accessibility for folks, and so my way of work, I, I rather to say, I like to support economic justice, and one of the ways I do that is by creating accessibility, so folks can arrange their payment in whatever way works for them without um, without surcharges. I, I prefer to be paid in advance, like not in advance, but like at the first session, but folks are free to make whatever kind of arrangement uh, works for them. But if they say to you, Hey, I, I, after one session, you know, I feel much better. I don't think I need this anymore. Um, a chances are that they might be just jumping a little bit ahead <laughs> in self-diagnosing yes. themselves. Well, sure. But how I do you bring them, them back? <laughs> yeah. Well, I invite them into reflection about that. And I say that, you know, uh, my packages are structured a certain way because I believe that this is what, from experience and research and, and my education, I believe that this is what is supportive and what will get you the to the goals that you have identified as important to you. And at the same time, uh, I want to give time and space for your inner wisdom. And if, you know, you find after about a week that you still really don't want to continue and that's all you need then we have a discussion about how we can like, you know, we'll come to a mutual agreement about um, how to find our way forward. That works for both of us right, right. that way. Very cool. Uh, we mentioned earlier the, about, we talked about the, you working at the intersection of mental health, trauma and financial psychology. Yeah. First of all, another new phrase I've learned today is financial oh. psychology. So tell me what that is. And then, Tell us about how, about this, this intersection point and, and what it means for entrepreneurs. Sure. So financial psychology is exactly what it is. It's the, it's the area of psycho psychological study that deals with finances and um, people's psychology, people's thoughts, feelings, uh, and behaviors around finances and money. Um, and I invite, I invite you and anyone listening to Google the term because it's fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. And in particular, where it comes down um, to with entrepreneurs is their relationship with money, of course, and uh, what we would, uh, you know, the so-called scarcity mindset. And um, I really uh, get my knickers in a knot around that because it is so demonized, you know, oh, well, you should have an abundance mindset. You should, your, your problem is that you're in a scarcity mindset and you should just think differently about money and resources. Well, I met those people. Like it's 
it's it's not helpful advice because the, the psychology around scarcity is its own thing. It's not just a way of thinking. When we are in scarcity about anything, either real or perceived, so you may perceive you don't have enough money or you may actually not have enough money. Regardless, your organism is going to respond with a survival response, right? Because it's a threat, lack of money, lack of time, lack of belonging, any kind of lack feels registers in your organism like a threat to your survival and you're going to have survival responses. And so when we say people should just make like, mm, stop spending money, you should just stop spending money in your business. Like so many folks who struggle with their financial behavior don't struggle with it because they don't know what to do. Most of us know what we should be doing and can't, find a way to do it. And that's because what's going on behind the scenes in our mind and in our physiology around money needs care first before your behavior can change. And that's how, like, mostly that's how financial psychology comes down when working with entrepreneurs. Um, they want to shift their relationship with money. And so we look at um, the psychology behind it the thinking behind it, the experiences that gave rise to the thinking. Uh, and there's often distress, often emotions related to that as well. Uh, offering care and space for those things so that they can experience a shift and then change their behavior as a result. Wow, that's very cool. Fabulous. So much great wisdom in there. Thank you for unpacking a little bit of it uh, with us. Do you have any advice or resources for entrepreneurs across Canada, how they can access counseling or therapy or support of some kind? Well, it's a challenge, honestly. It is a challenge because um, straight up folks are having trouble accessing support uh, and, and in particular access to mental health professionals. Um, so what I would recommend is if a person wants some ideas about that, that they uh, send me an email. This is not an opportunity for me to sell them, but for me to connect with them and let them know what resources are there are in their area or using my networks to find the resource, to connect and identify the resources that are available to them. So that, yeah, that would that be amazing. Thank you. So that's in the show mm -hmm. notes too. Um, and then peer support is really unparalleled. One of the things like we're always as entrepreneurs taking risks, right? So I invite folks to take a risk and consider who's a supporter and choose wisely to take the risk of confiding in someone supportive. Maybe just a coffee with them and maybe it's just a little tiny touch of like how you're doing. You may find that it goes okay. And that might give you the sense that you could say more next time. And so like we take risks all the time. So why not take this risk, calculated risk, right? Or we don't just out of the, well, some of us do <laughs> just jump, you know, but mo many of us are taking calculated risks. And in the same way, I would invite you to take a calculated risk 
um, and, and choose somebody supportive and say just a little bit to them about how you're doing. And then if that goes well, say a little bit more and a little bit more because peer support is so important. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's such great advice that, uh, we do as entrepreneurs think of ourselves as, as these daring mm-hmm. risk takers and let's just extend yep. that brand just a little bit in, 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 into how we're yep. feeling. And maybe that makes it an easier yep. step. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. As we close now, any final words of advice or any resources you want to share with our audience to, to, to help them with their day-to-day relationship with mental health? Yeah. I invite you to remember that there's nothing wrong with you. That anytime you're feeling distressed, anytime you're feeling like it's hard, well, duh, it is hard. Of course it's hard. What we're trying to do is hard. It's hard. And so when you notice that you're in distress or you're struggling or things are hard, to say to yourself, there's just nothing wrong with me. This is legit hard. It's not hard because I'm stupid or that there's a problem with me. It's hard because it's hard. And there's nothing wrong with you. That's beautiful. And I love your other line. We are stronger with support. We are so much stronger with support. Absolutely. We've been talking with Shulamit Bear-Levtov, the entrepreneur's therapist. Thank you so much, Shula, for, for the work you're doing and for sharing so much of it with us today. Thanks for giving me a platform, Rick, to be passionate about something that matters so deeply to me. And thank you. I'm going to get the last thank you in here <laughs> uh, for offering to, to help our audience. If, 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 you, if you're looking for support and you can't find it locally, if you email Shula, maybe she can help uh, arrange something for you. So, so please let that happen. Please be that daring risk taker that we know you are. Shula, thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.